I'm sorry, you can sit there and look and play with all your silly machines as much as you Shut. like. What a stop! Just for Ben! Oh! Oh! Jordan Ben! Yes! Jordan Hedden! I mean, that sort of stuff, we're, it, it's been... We're, be, we're bigger than that. That interview is just like the performance, flat. No. What, what do you want him to do? Just fall at Gabriel's feet crying? I mean, well, he, he, say something... We, we were doing what we'd done for 20 years, relaxing a nervous studio guest in the same way that you would in, in these conditions, um, and thought no more of it. Fire it up, fire it up, when we finally turn it over, make a beeline towards the boat. Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, whatever land it is you're in at this time in podcast land. Welcome to the Friday Football Podcast. We're almost there at the end of the season. Adrian Barry here, Nathan Murphy there. Hello. And nobody else anywhere else. No, just the two of us once again. I was thinking we never relax our studio guests. We well, you speak for, I would say speak for yourself there. All right, you, you uh, like Murphy, to yeah. bring them? Well, you offer them a cup of coffee, you sit them in our, uh, green, our somebody, green room. I presume somebody else does that. The News Talk green room. Do another well, people you see, do that? You operate at just a different level than I do, Nathan. You're sort of removing yourself from any possibility of having to be courteous to other people. You're just sort of essentially on your own little ego trip. It's good to have you back. Thanks very much. You've been dodging the Friday Football Podcast for the last few weeks. Yeah, I've really missed uh, you guys. It's that sincerity right there. I got, I, I no, I got a little sense of Did you? a bit of sincerity there. Um, we just can't get the three of us in the same room at the same time. Yeah, I, that probably tells something, uh, speaks to the relationship between the three of us. In what way? Well, we don't want to be in a room together. I okay, mean, for any yeah. great lengths yeah. of time, I would think, would be the essence of all that. No McIntyre this week. Um, Presumably no, he's off working with Sky or the One of his other Many TV3 other media interests oh, Look you've got to take your hat off to the guy You know what I mean He's got a young family Yeah He's got to look out for things in that score um, Two live games and off the ball this weekend Let's get the hard sell out of the way Nathan uh, Straight off the bat It's Manchester City against QPR At the Etihad Dave will be at that one He will be back at work and Clinton Morrison will be alongside him. Never before heard in the off-the-ball commentary box. I'm excited. As Clinton's a big debut. fan of the emoticon. He likes a good emoticon. He's a bit of a Joe Malloy in that this sense. Is, sorry, you're texting over and back there. Yeah, the there was a lot of... I find footballers in general are big fans of the old emoticon. Or What's maybe it? it's just people in general people. and not me. Yeah, no, I'd agree with that. I've been surprised with the, with the people who've used emoticons. I won't lie. The first time Slightly Joe disgusted. Malloy ever texted me and used... An emoticon, he, to say he went down, in my opinion, is an understatement. He loves a good o- emoticon. It's bizarre. An emoticon speaks a thousand words. Yeah. Or at least two or three words of occasion. So what sort of thing you'd sort of texting over and back is what's what's going on is he's looking for, he's like looking for a limo to uh Yeah, to the well, ground. It's, it's Clinton Morrison. To the Etihad. Yeah, he, he was asking me, because uh, this is the first time doing a match for off the ball, you know, what should I wear in the press room in the Etihad? So mm. obviously I told him, black tie. I would hope that he's uh, beyond falling for that one. (laughs) Well, (laughs) he's really in trouble for the day. Um, And he will have to put up a Dave as well for the afternoon, so I presume you've sort of teed him up on that front as well, have you? I've warned him about McIntyre and his ways. Yeah. It's a good place to start out, though, the Etihad. 
Yeah, it's I mean, a nice ground. Where there's, it's, well, a nice, it's a nice press box. It's quite a bit honest. I do QPR a disservice. You do QPR say a massive disservice. Uh, nothing riding on this one, um, and a few bob, obviously, from a city point of view, which I'm sure they couldn't give two shits about. But either way, uh, Chelsea and Liverpool at Stamford Bridge in the later game, and you'll be at that one, Nathan, alongside Ray Houghton, uh, and. Yeah, we'll get look. We'll get into the various talking points around this one um, in a little bit. But there are two live games on off the ball this weekend. I presume you've enjoyed the you, GE hashtag GE twenty fifteen. GE twenty fifteen. The UK I, elections. Yeah, I I understand. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, but I'm wondering why you're. Face, I'm wondering why I'm just, you're. Just, what, what's what's happening but, in the life of Nathan I, Murphy? This shouldn't just be about. You I know. wasn't clicking on GE twenty fifteen. I stayed up till about quarter to one last right. night. I was so bloody pissed off when I saw the exit poll. I was yeah. thinking. Why were you pissed off? Because the conser- you're well, firstly because the bloody conservatives because UKIP didn't get enough. Well, I spent a liking. day a week in Britain. You know, I feel like I'm yeah. part of these people. I, yeah, you know, I want, I want to see the Labour government back UKIP, in. UKIP weren't just represented enough for you. Was that what was? But the, that was clearly it. The Lib Dems uh, sort of fall oh, back. Scottish National Party. I'm all for those guys. I, but you want a bit of drama. It. It's like the Premier League title race. You want a bit of drama. Here, explain this to me, right? And actually, I, by the way, I totally agree with you. It's like a sports fan's bloody playground. These elections. Um, like what how have so Scotland decided they didn't want to um, break away from uh, the United Kingdom right in the referendum last year we're totally happy where we are everything is fine and then 50 I think I'm right to say 56 of 57 seats go to the Scottish of 59 of 59 go to the Scottish National Party yeah what the fuck fear Adrian fear the Conservatives did a brilliant job when it came to the uh, the independence so referendum. So that's more more of a so Conservative vote than it is. A no, it was a it was very much a the independence referendum. I think most people in Scotland would admit that they didn't know what happened the next day if they voted for independence on the Friday. Yeah, what happens on Monday? Yeah, there's just this massive unknown. But no, but so but that doesn't explain the Scottish situation. So that, that but. Like they, I, it seems to me like a very patriotic vote. Yeah, but then the referendum goes totally counter to that. Well, because they know that they want to have a big voice in Westminster, mm. which they will obviously now have. Mm. But because the fact the Tories have a majority, it's not going to be the voice they expected. Mm. And also, they wanted to prove a point to Labour, but they didn't want to go the whole hog. Now maybe next time they will, but there was a definite fear about which was being put out there about the pound and what happens if they go and join the euro. Is the economy going to just fall off a cliff in the yeah. space of 24 hours? I, but the, those are all reasons for me to not vote SNP. No, I think, well, clearly in the referendum, the vast majority of SNP voters voted against. Yeah. Yeah. But then if they were concerned about leaving the eurozone... They shouldn't have voted SNP because it's much more likely that they would end up going out on their own. No, not the Eurozone. They were concerned about leaving Britain. They were concerned about leaving... They but were... then why would they vote for the Scottish National Party? Because if you're concerned about like leaving Britain, then vote for the Tories or vote for Labour or whatever. No, because they want a strong Scottish voice in Westminster, which yeah. is what the Scottish National Party gives them. Mm. But they don't necessarily want to be away from Westminster, which is what the referendum is doing. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm. Who does? I think Two I'm listeners. More, I think I'm, I'm more confused now than I was when we began this conversation. Well, I was. Anyway, still, I felt sorry. The for beauty. Because go it, on. Yeah. It, it is a little bit. It is very much. I was commenting on this to my wife last night, yeah. and I was saying how, like, I, you know, it's one of the things having kids. You can't really stay up all night. Whereas yeah. when I was younger, I used to stay up for all the elections, <laughs> every single one. 
and take the next day off work. And she was like, why? Like, what's the? I was like, but it is just like sport. Yeah. It is as close as you can get. And you have that yeah. understanding of the figures. And Well, the only difficulty is that you, so you got your exit poll last night and then you've really nothing to go on until I, I would assume, I set up until about two, I think, watching it. But I'm assuming sort of seven, eight o'clock this morning by the time that any sort of concrete shape starts to uh, take place. But by the way, the Channel 4 coverage, I know this is sort of tangential, I don't know what your station you were watching it on, was class. Yeah. It was like an election coverage I've never seen before. It was like real conversations and people treating it for the absolute nonsense that it is. Yeah, it's very much like a Declan Lynch article, which I'm sure he will probably have this Sunday about when you're comparing sport and politics, that, well, actually, sport is what really matters to people. And Mm -hmm. the way Channel 4 were approaching it were, well, actually, these are the things that matter Mm. to people. And this, the big figure, isn't going to make a huge difference Paxman was doing his thing. Did you did you watch any of it? Yeah, I watched about an hour of it. I, I watched it was brilliant. for the first ten minutes. I was thinking Paxman really doesn't want to be here. He's wondering where's it all gone wrong. I think he was uh, sort of letting it hang out there that uh, look, I'm you know I'm a serious journalist here, right? Yeah. But I'm, I'm you know I'm happy to go along with this. But they had uh, David Marshall, is that his name? Uh, yes, I'm going to go with that because uh, that's what I was going to go with. It was that guy from something and Web, and he was the something. Yes, was he was Marshall. Mitchell. Mitchell, 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 Mitchell. That should be the, that should have been the key. The, uh, he's the goalkeeper, isn't he? Um, anyway, uh, and yeah, they had the various other comedians on. They had those guys on that were on around the uh, Paralympics, uh, the Aussie guy and a couple Adam of his Hills. buddies. Yeah, and um, a couple of other comedians. And it was just really good, good fun. And they had... Um, at one point, the leader of the Green Party on and Jeremy Paxman pretty much uh, went through for a short game. It was just very interesting. Um, it is a football podcast, I'm aware. Have you any more points to make on the on hashtag GE2015 before we... No, I didn't watch Sky. I watched quite a bit of BBC. Yeah. You know, trusted source. Paddy Panstan saying that he was going to eat his hat. Yeah. I did I did find Channel 4 quite interesting that there is a, an alternative way of doing this yeah. that is both intelligent and interesting. I couldn't figure out why, why anybody was watching anything else. <laughs> yeah, I just felt at times they were getting away from actually what was happening. Yeah, excellent. <laughs> yes, please, more of that. Like that, they had a lot of like one feature they had was Gogglebox. Yeah, you know, that, nonsense, I was watching and, but yeah. so so they were like they had recordings with Gogglebox from when Paxman had interviewed Miliband or Cameron or whatever it was, and their reactions to that. So obviously that was all stuff that was in the can. We'll take yeah. a break now for fifteen minutes. Uh, but I thought it was great. I really enjoyed it. I have to say, I wouldn't be a well, Paxman's a genius. You could just watch Paxman talk about anything. Yeah, yeah, that was good. Anyway, uh, there's some football on this weekend, Nathan, which we really should get to. It's a good job Dave McIntyre's in here because it's a big really weekend for be David happy. Cameron, Aston Villa against West Ham. Yeah. Hey, which which uh, blue is he going to go for? Yeah, is the well, big question Burnley. here. Um, right. So Everton against Sunderland is the early game on. Uh, Saturday afternoon, it's a Sunderland side, four points from their last two games, but um, still inside the relegation positions as we currently stand, a single point separating them from safety. And after Everton, Nathan, they have Leicester City at the Stadium of Light, and after that, it's away to Arsenal and then to Chelsea on the final day. They've only one home game left, and their last win away from home was Newcastle in mid-December. I'm essentially building a case here for Sunderland having two games to save their season. You see, we always say this and then you think, well, actually, Chelsea away, Stamford Bridge, last day of the season is a game they could easily get a point in. 
Chelsea are going to be going all out in that game to win. They're, it's the last game of the season. They're champions. They don't want to... Well, I presume they're going to get presented... Uh, do they get presented with the trophy before that or on no, that day? No, it's going to be on that day. Grant, so they don't want that to be rained on by a shitty team coming to Stamford Bridge and doing one over. No, and Chelsea could easily win that game 8-0 as they did in 2010 when they finished off the season and it was so comfortable and they just mm. hammered everybody. But I, I, I wouldn't read quite so much into it that Sunderland aren't going to get anything from the last two games of the season. It does look, three weeks out from the end though, as if that Sunderland-Leicester game is going to be the pivotal game. Mm. That if Sunderland were to lose that, they're going down. Um, Just two points separating uh, Sunderland and Newcastle, which we'll sort of maybe tie in the Newcastle-West Brom game in this conversation as well. It's one of the three o'clock matches on Saturday. Sunderland do have a game in hand and Newcastle's remaining games, though, gives you some sense of hope for Newcastle, which might be not necessarily something that's uh, in great abundance um, uh, in that city at the minute. But they're at home to West Brom and at home to West Ham and they're away to QPR. So... If, and it's a fairly large, if they can in any way, I mean, that's if you're in the position that Newcastle are in, that's not a bad fixture list. When you're in the position Newcastle are in, nothing is a good fixture list. I don't mean, I don't mean in terms of, like, they're, they're having an absolute nightmare, obviously, over the last little while, but, I mean, uh, I just mean physically on the table. Yeah, particularly Queen's Park Rangers, who'll probably be relegated by then. Like, we've ha- we have John Anderson on the show quite a lot, and we had him on... Seven or about two months ago, we have them on probably every three, four weeks. And two months ago was on oh, Newcastle. You know, the season might just fizzle out, but they're on thirty-five yeah, points. I remember those. Yeah, co- a, a couple we more, discussed it on this podcast. A couple more wins, yeah, and they're safe. They just flow to the end of the season. Yeah. That's what they do. And week on week, it's kind of it's not happening. It's not happening. And then we had him on last Saturday, and he was as downbeat as I've ever heard him. And mm. he was very much. Of the point of view that Newcastle aren't going to get another point this season. The way they played last weekend against Leicester, where it could have been 6 or 7 nil. Yeah. And since then, it's only got worse with John Carver's comments and with what's been going on off the pitch. Well, I was, I was, I was doing a scan of the old Interclick there the other day and I saw this headline. Um, John Carver, I'm the best coach in the Premier League. In, in quotations and I thought ah come on now BBC you're, you've are you taken something completely out of context here now this is a load of shit I'm going to click into this and it'll be something else but it was exactly that like John Carver um, look I don't know you don't want to be overly critical of the guy he's been sort of th- uh, thrust into this position that well he is- wanted it he put he put himself out there. Well, Steve Staunton wanted it, and he should never have been there. And it's probably the best parallel I could come up with. But I look for my money. I think John Carver is he's been a two bit coach at a whole bunch of, in many cases, two bit clubs. He was a one bit player by all accounts. Played with Cardiff City, got to ten games. Played two hundred and odd games with Gateshead. Somebody's no been great, on his Wikipedia page. No great. Uh, sorry for doing a bit of research. No great uh, track record in any of that regard. An absolute two-bit coach of sort of assistant coach here and a head coach there. A couple of years at Toronto. He's done a bit at Newcastle. He's done a bit at Leeds. But he's after convincing himself that he is Premier League manager material. And that's where his mistake, his, most, his biggest mistake has come. But he has to convince himself that he's Premier League manager material. You don't take the job and go, actually, I'm probably not really good at this. Well, it's not to say you're not any good at it, but I, it I is think to say that in that can... interview he said, I'm a very positive person. I still think I'm the best coach in the Premier League. I, lo- I would love to have seen the camera flip the other way, by the way. <laughs> that's that what, was... I, I actually listened back to it two or three times and think, are people laughing yeah, in the background? Yeah. But he does then go on to say, and I'm giving it my very best shot. 
at the moment. I'm yeah. doing as, go- as good as I can. I'm like, well. <laughs> but he's so clearly out of his depth. John Giles was on the programme last night and he mm. was talking about the idea of, you know, Nigel Pearson, to use an example of somebody who is just a really dull interviewee. Like and from an asshole. Uh, Nigel Pearson's point of view, <laughs> Nigel Pearson's point of view, he that's a very deliberate thing. I've read stuff with him earlier on in the season, and he said you're not, you'll get nothing out of me this season. It doesn't matter what happened outside of his little rant clearly um, last week, but you'll get no information out of me. I'm not here to uh, make myself personality. And so from within the dressing room, the point that John Giles would make would be that that reflects very well. The players understand we're all on the same sort of sheet here. But then you get John Carver. Like, essentially hanging out one of his players to dry. Mike Williamson deserved to get sent off. And, like, that's all very well for us from a media point of view. And we would obviously encourage that kind of thing because it's much more interesting for a conversational point of view. But from a managerial point of view, wh- like, where do you go when you return to your players after that interview? And, like, he, he's absolutely, he, he, may, he may well be absolutely spot on, but that's not really the point. Yeah, he has gone from one to a hundred very quickly on several occasions. And, I heard Joe making the point that he's almost acting like a fan and he is that he's just way too emotionally involved in it and he needs to take a step back or somebody needs to take a step back and think okay we just need one win let's come up with some sort of a tactical plan let's focus all our energies into that instead of having the captain write letters to fans that basically what he did at half time as he said himself was he gave the players a rollicking presuming that that would be enough to bring them out in the second half with a different performance and they let in a goal mm. three minutes after half time. So you've done that. Mm. There's one trick. That's gone. Mm. It doesn't work. Then you turn on your players and try and put all the pressure on them. That clearly already hasn't worked. Yeah. Then the players are having meetings by themselves. Maybe that's going to be... Oh, but he spun that as if that was a... Well, I let the players go in and have their own meeting. Well, I think they were doing it without you, buddy. Yeah, that there are certain things that managers try and do and when they work, they look back three months later and think that was the moment where our season changed. And he's tried all of those tricks and none of them have paid off. I'd like to ask uh, John Anderson about this because I certainly haven't seen enough of them to make up my mind about it. But he came out the other day and he said, oh, look, we can talk about tactics and we can talk about shape. But ultimately, if the players don't have the fight... And my main thought after that was, well, let's talk about tactics and let's talk about shape. As I said, I don't have enough... Well, I asked John Anderson about that last weekend and John actually made the same point. I was saying, over this run of losing eight games in a row, did there get to a moment four or five games into it where John Carver said, all right, let's try something different. Let's, you know, go five at the back. Let's Which would point to some notion that John Carver has an idea what he's doing, obviously. Yeah, and he said, no, he hasn't. But he, he also said, that's not the issue. That there's literally zero fight, zero interest in these players. You don't lose 3-0 to Leicester and be lucky to lose 3-0 to Leicester Mm. if you have any interest in going out and leaving a mark on the game. That the players have given up. The players' heads are completely gone. And that no matter what tactics you put out, if the players aren't willing to put in any sort of an effort and have lost all their discipline... Mm. I I do think he was right, to a certain extent, with Mike Williamson. Not that he didn't get sent off on purpose, but he didn't maybe have the due care you would need in that sort of situation where you think, well, if I dive in here, I'm going to get yeah. sent off. I don't want to do that. We're in big trouble. I'm one of the experienced players here. He just thought, screw it. But it's almost not the point, isn't it? I mean, you know, whatever about the the actual act of him getting sent off or not, but it's almost not the point that that John Carver really just should not have brought that up. Oh, yeah. Because the, the pl- John P- Carver needs the players' backing. That point that you made is an interesting one about, uh, which in itself is... Uh, <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, Adrian. Uh, a, a feat. Um, 
that, you know, it was in relation to the fans. It got me to think about... Um, Newcastle are very... About, about John Carver being a fan. Newcastle are very... Above, probably all other clubs wound up about what the fans think of the club. It's really sort of um, cart before the horse material that, like, the fans will follow. Like, busy yourself with trying to fix this effing club and then worry about the fans. Whereas, like, John Carver's bringing two fans in to have a chat with them about their behaviour. Like, don't worry about any of that. That will all... If you start winning games and, like, show some sort of ambition to sign, like, as a club, not to be an absolute basket case, right, in its broadest terms, mm. the fans will follow. Like, constantly back to, the, oh, the fans are this yeah, and the fans see, are that. I think, in general, I would agree with you, but Newcastle have got to the stage where with what has gone on off the pitch and Mike Ashley, like, they're destroying the club. Mm. And Newcastle are a club built on the supporters. They're not built on anything else. It is a club... No, you're not convinced? Isn't every, every No, but of every club What's in the any Premier different? League... What's any different between Newcastle and any other club in terms of, like, outside of the constant narrative of, oh, the Newcastle supporters, this, that, and the other. Outside of that intangible, from a tangible point of view, why, why are Newcastle any more different? Because... The football club and the Saturday afternoon of the football club is all anybody talks about or anybody is any interest in for the entire week. It's mm. what unites the entire city. Yeah. And I was okay. comparing it to a, a successful GEA club. And I we had a text in saying, that's a lot of nonsense. It's more like bohemians and they're the real clubs of the communities. Well, yeah. But that this club and the way it used to be 10 years ago or before Mike Ashley, the supporters really felt they had an effect on what the club did yeah, and that everybody Which bought into it kind but of a misnomer. I don't think that is the case with most Premier League clubs now I well, think well, people so go along on a Saturday it's... afternoon and then it doesn't overly affect their mood for the rest of the week whereas at Newcastle what happens at the football club affects the mood of the entire city if you strip that back essentially you're, what you're talking about is one major sporting franchise in a city and nothing else there you know, so Sunderland obviously have it to a degree, but the reason it doesn't exist in Manchester is because it's too big of a city and you've got a couple of clubs and the same in uh, London, Liverpool and, you know, you can think yeah, but of... but also... Of, like even Cardiff, for example, London. obviously the rugby interest and whatever else. Yeah. And also these are kind of, I guess, bustling cities where there's a bit of life to them. Like Newcastle is being destroyed in every... Mm. This was the only thing they'd left. Mm. And now that's been taken away. And it's only me. the high polloi that are interested in the Newcastle Falcons, will be your point. Yes. Like, <laughs> nobody in Newcastle cares less about the Newcastle Falcons. Um, Do they still even play since Johnny Wilkinson left? No, I think they're still knocking about, all right. Um, yeah, all right. I, I, do, like, I haven't I been to Newcastle that, quite I, a few times over I, the last few weeks, or last few seasons. I have a lot of sympathy for the Newcastle supporters that, in general, I would have gone along with your point of view of, here, forget about supporters. Mm. But if Newcastle is to be a successful club, you have to bring the supporters with you. And you would seriously worry for Newcastle if they were to be relegated. And I would worry for them either way because they're stuck in such a rut. Yeah. I don't think a summer changes a, a whole amount. Mm. I'm not saying necessarily forget about the fans, by the way. No, you are. That's Screw the fans. What about the boy Keane at Nottingham Forest? I said, get him bored. He's 80 today. Was it today? Happy birthday, yeah. Happy birthday, big Jack. Jack. I know he's big. He's a big listener to the Friday Football Podcast. He he's loves He's a big it. fan of McIntyre particularly, so he'd be a little bit let down um, that he's not here. But yeah, look, I'm not saying forget about the fans. I'm saying the fans will exist, and that's totally fine, and you've got to respect all that, blah, 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 blah. But 
put the football first. Like worry about getting that right. Yeah. The fans will follow. Well, that, that's coming from the very top that there's no interest in anything. It's all just money. We did start talking about Everton Sunderland and then uh, moved on to Newcastle. I watched that Sunderland Newcastle game where Jermaine Defoe scored the wonder mm. goal, and I watching at the time thinking this is a brutal game of football. But there was a general assumption I think that because Sunderland had won it that the new manager and Dick Avocat they were going to take a huge amount from this and yeah. all the momentum was with them and actually it just turns out it was two brutal teams yeah. and one of them happened to score a goal yeah well Avocat is saying he's going all out attack uh, this weekend which I don't know from his <laughs> point of view if that's necessarily going to give you a great deal of reassurance um, Jermaine Defoe you mentioned he might go three up front Stephen Fletcher potentially back from injury we shall see how that all that pans out that's uh, the early game on Saturday um, Leicester City Southampton uh, the King Power another one of the uh, three o'clock matches and it's uh, not been a great week for the Nigels although it has sort of uh, Slightly got a bit better for one of them in that uh, Pearson has today won the manager of the month despite his ramblings over the last little while and probably with um, uh, a certain degree of justice about that as well. Four wins uh, over April that sees them currently one point above the relegation positions heading down the straight and welcoming Southampton to the King Power. Enough momentum, Nathan, you feel, behind Southampton, uh, Leicester at this point to see them right. The recent results might suggest that to be the case I wouldn't go that far because they do still have to play Sunderland mm. so if they were to lose that it puts them right back in it but the fact they've won five of the last six and Southampton have faded quite dramatically it, there is a big difference now they're out of the relegation zone mm. so that automatic motivation that is there for players that you have something to chase down you know you can't afford to slip up already the whole conversation about Leicester is a little bit more relaxed which if that feeds down to the players yeah Perhaps they don't get the wins. Yeah. Who's the other Nigel, by the way? Ah, uh, Farage. Okay. Yeah. Um, back to the old... Way over my yeah. head there. Um, I'm glad you brought it up, though, because I'm sure if you were having that question, the other two people who listen to the podcast were yeah. also um, of a similar mind. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a reasonable point. I actually don't have their... Let me have a look here. Who else? They're going to Sunderland... Um, which is the game you mentioned as maybe one of the more pivotal ones and I don't have their final fixture to hand So, um, but that aside they, I mean the possibility is that Leicester potentially gets something out of this game this weekend and the Sunderland one just becomes um, really, really pivotal at that point like the possibility from a Leicester point of view is that they may not win need to win a huge amount of games from here on out yeah that's the possibility but you still look at the table and if Sunderland were to Sunderland have a game in hand now which is against Arsenal but if Sunderland were to beat Everton tomorrow, so before all these games take place, Sunderland are up to 14th. Yeah. And that changes insane. the dynamic completely. And suddenly Villa are right back in it and Hull are in the relegation zone and Leicester are right there and the pressure changes again. Yeah. So, so I, I would still be very... I think we'll know a lot more after this weekend if Leicester were to win, Sunderland were to lose and if Hull were to get a decent result against Burnley, I think we could be in a far better position to write mm. Sunderland off. But if Sunderland beat Everton, well then it's it's going to go right to the final day of the season. So let's not overly concern ourselves about getting into the various dynamics of... Oh, we're just having a few gremlins there. Of the uh, bottom of the table is what you're saying, that there's not really too much we can predict here. Well, it's only now that... I might look it, but I am. Kino's excited. It's only when you actually look at the table and think, wow, like Villa are just two points ahead of Sunderland. Yeah. And Sunderland have a game in hand. That... It's a hell of a lot tighter and, okay, the momentum is against Sunderland and 
There's a whole bunch of variables, Nathan, but we, we this is what we do for a living. We must we, we must, we must make, discuss them. I we mean, must make a you know, prediction. Yeah. Um, I just don't like... I, I wouldn't be overly upset to see Sunderland get relegated. Just don't like them as a club. Yeah, they're they're about they're held up as now. The, I know I've just put Newcastle basket. up there as a yeah. Well, they are held up as the basket case. Even I would suggest as equally as much as Newcastle. Um, uh, in terms of the, the Abigail is a strange run. appointment. Again, it, like if you okay in ignoring the fans, it's fine. But he's mm. not somebody who gets anybody too excited about anything. Mm. They need what you're saying. Is I they need, do wonder they when a, a, a coach a like Dick Adva comes in, possibly. But a coach like Dick Avick comes in, what what the players in the dressing room think? Like, do you suddenly notice, and this guy, his English isn't incredible, that within half an hour on the training ground, you kind of go, wow, this is pretty different. This is a step up from whatever training we've done before. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know the specifics of this case, but I would suggest from, like, Dick Avocat's point of view, if you're coming in there, like, the last thing you would need to do, particularly that, like, maybe at the start of the season, fair enough, if you've got a bit of time to prepare them in the... Um, pre-season but like he I would think it would be counterproductive to a manager to come in at that stage of the season where they're in the absolute shit and start saying right we're going to start right immediately or maybe you do but I guess probably depends on the um, situation like mm. do you come in and say right that all the you know, system even playing and the players and etc we're going to totally turn that in its head I don't know I guess it depends on the quality that you have available to you and your position in the table which might suggest that well, if you've yeah, if you're struggling at the wrong end, I would think turning it on its head to, uh, from a tactics point of view might not necessarily yeah, be the way. I guess to that's go. the point that maybe someone like Dick Avaca is a very good tactician, whereas Tim Sherwood is a very good motivator. Yeah. And at this time of the season, the latter is far more what you need. Fascinated to see how he will go uh, next year, Tim Sherwood. I have to say, well, I think go very well, really? uh, very very well, unless they're taken over and he's let go, which mightn't be the worst thing to happen, Tim very, Sherwood. Very, are you being sarcastic or is this a? No, I think Villa. I think uh, Villa be all right under under Sherwood. Really? Yeah, I I think he'll. Well, if they lose again, if they lose Benteke. Things are different. They're not mm. giving money to reinvest. Uh, Stoke Tottenham is our next port of call. Another one of the uh, three o'clock games at the Britannia on Saturday. Uh, Liverpool have to go to Chelsea on Sunday. So Nathan, a big chance for Tottenham. You'd have seen a bit of these this season. The uh, Spurs this season, I would think. Um, I've seen a lot of them. I saw them last weekend. Big chance for them to edge Liverpool out of fifth because Stoke are really not that interested in the Premier League anymore. They've sort of kicked up their heels over the last while. And now is the opportunity for Tottenham to get uh, into fifth. And why do they want to do that? You feel that the Europa League would be a hindrance for the next season yeah. and better off out of it? Yeah, I think it would be um, for any of those sides. And you talk about Stoke having their feet up. I think after losing against City last weekend, Spurs will have their feet up as well. You, you, you really feel there's... This could be 4-3. Yeah, yeah, or nil-nil. That they really aren't interested in fifth. I mean... There's a financial benefit clearly to it. There's yeah, the there is. kudos they, from a manager. They can never admit it, so we like, don't know. Pochettino was so uh, Pochettino, like early first part of the season, Pochettino doesn't really know what he's doing here, and he's struggling to get grips of the thing. I have to say, I always felt it would come right for them, and I'm really interested to see. I think they'll. But has it come right for them? Well, they were at one point struggling. Well, they had the, their worst start since 2008. I remember coming yeah, to match in November. And they're now sixth in the table, and I would suggest that's a, a, a manner of success over that time period. Well, it's much like Liverpool finishing, if they finish fifth, that's kind of where Liverpool should finish on mm. their outlay, both on wages and on fees, and Spurs should probably finish sixth. Well, then that's kind of fair enough, right? Yeah, that's but I don't think then. it's... I think it's... 
is success achieving what you should achieve? Yeah. Yeah, totally. That's the definition of success. <laughs> <laughs> you know, overachievement is another thing. Yeah, well, like, I think we're always looking for overachievement. Yeah. Um, I, I'm still not fully convinced by them. I think they need huge improvements in the summer. And I'm not sure where that's going to come from. There's, I, I was ahead of the game last week. I was going through the starting 11s. And they'd used 20 different back fours over the course of the Jeez. season. They'd used six different players right back alone. Oh, right. Yeah, Jesus. 20 different combinations among the back four. Yeah. So it's no surprise that they've conceded more goals than anyone else in the top half of the table. Stoke have, as they often do, gone about their business pretty quietly, but they you know, they did lose in... Did they beat Swansea last week? No, they, they were beaten 2-0. They were beaten 2-0 by yeah. Swansea, so that was kind of eighth place gone. But they're on course to finish ninth for the second season in a row. Tony Pulis had never finished in the top 10. It's unfortunate for Mark Hughes that nobody seems to particularly like him, that he would never get the credit that Tony Pulis Yeah. Well, they were, they're, are they three points away from a record points total in the yeah. Premier League? But I've also been three points away for the last seven games. And I've had like one win in seven or whatever it is. And I was actually, I watched a bit of um, Mark Hughes post that Swansea game. You know the way he's a real fiery prick? Mm. You know the way he's like whatever? He's always got a bit of a chip on his shoulder. He was just way too relaxed for a right. man who'd just been beaten 2-0. I kind of sense that they are a team who are just not, like, they're, it's they're, as you as say, they're ninth or 10th. And that's where Stoke are. And that's fine. We're going to finish there. And that's grand. It's almost as if, you know, they play in a match on a Saturday. One of the guys gets injured. He flies on the first flight to Dublin, goes on the piss all night, goes straight to the airport the next morning, still steaming drunk and doesn't really care. I'm, I'm going to say, even though I know exactly what, what are you talking about, Nathan? Just, I'm just saying, these are the type of things that might happen at clubs when, when, uh, <laughs> They were mid-table towards the end of the season. The players yeah. just don't care as much. Things yeah. that they mm. wouldn't do at the start of the season, they start doing now. Right. But like, that's just, I'm just throwing... Speculation or whatever. Speculation. Yeah. I'm just throwing it out there. Yeah. I mean, that's, I don't, what, I, that's what, essentially, the essence of what the Friday Football Podcast yeah, is like, about. I, like, I've, I've, I've no proof mm. um, that anything like this could no, have happened. No, no, And I no. certainly wouldn't like to go naming names. No. <laughs> I, don't, I, I certainly would rather you didn't name any <laughs> names, I would have to admit. But yeah, look, they... they um, they and they were missing Boyan for the last couple of months, and yeah. he just as he was starting to make a bit of an impression, and it sort of found his feet in English football. I think Stoke have done well. Spurs, I, I still don't think Maurizio Pochettino knows so, sorry, what to, he's going to get uh, from his side. Come back to that. The, 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 from a Stoke point of view, I you say okay, they've done well, but like, shouldn't they? Like, they've t- one win, whatever it is, three points from the last seven games. Like, shouldn't their ambition be a bit more than that? You know, it's ninth, ninth or tenth. Do, like, I understand. Actually, from a personnel point of view, they probably should be beyond ninth or tenth. Well, who should they be above? Uh, West Ham, Swansea. Mm-hmm. Swan- West Ham started the season brilliantly. Mm. Swan- no, I think Swansea have a really good group of players. I think again, ninth is sort of where Stoke should be. But I, I do often think that you talk there about oh, shouldn't they have the motivation to go and push on? Mm. That maybe there's a reason that certain players are playing at Stoke. That they don't have that yeah, motivation. Yeah, yeah. So they have a lot of talent. So, And you look at the players that are there, some of them, Charlie Adam, Peter Crouch, who are very good players, but maybe never had that extra little bit of drive that you needed. Certainly in Charlie Adam's case, maybe been a bit harsh on, on Peter harsh Crouch. Very harsh on uh, Crouchy, yeah. But that, that's why certain guys end up at Stoke, that they don't have that... Or maybe it's not, again, I'm even being harsh that they don't have the maybe it's more they don't have the quality to sustain it over the entire season. That they'll always have yeah. certain runs, yeah. and when they are fully at it and when they are fully motivated, 
they're good enough. But if they just slacken off even the slightest bit. Yeah, because you assume, I mean, even if you're playing for just Stoke, that's still the top 2-3% of people who've tried to become professional footballers. So mm. there's still obviously some degree of motivation behind it. I, I, I don't know. I, I just think you look at someone like a, a Branislav Ivanovic, mm. who has played every minute of every league game for Chelsea. But there's no let up. Now, he has more talent than, say, Phil Bardsley, who's playing at right back for Stoke. But I don't see Phil Bardsley putting in the same effort at this stage of the season mm. that Ivanovic is. Still desperate to fight for every last ball. Um, that is Stoke against Tottenham and some of the other games just to skip over on Saturday. Villa up against West Ham, Hull City up against Burnley and that's it for the... The game is over. My wife doesn't know the result. For the uh, three o'clock games. Crystal Palace against United is a late game. On Saturday evening, and Nathan, the big news here, obviously, that Mavis Depay is on his way to Old Trafford. A dream move was the quote I read today. Go on. Yeah, I, from what I've read, he seems to be uh, like a second son or whatever to Louis van Gaal. I, think, I, I, I was I, trying to figure I, out how many sons Louis yeah, van Gaal actually Well, I, that was the point I was about <laughs> to make. I think that uh, I think van Gaal has a veritable orphanage of second sons or whatever it might be okay. that he's taken right. under his wing. All right, um, yeah, yeah. But, um, that 25 million quid from PSV Eindhoven, uh, winger struck forward, creative player, an unselfish player by all accounts, a pretty brash uh, player from a per, uh, personality point of view, 21-year-old. A tattoo I read on the inside of his lower lip that says... What? The inside of his lower lip with a tattoo. The inside of his lower lip? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So inside his mouth? Yeah. He has a tattoo? yeah. Is this a thing? Yeah, I've heard of it before. Yeah. I don't know how common it is, but I mean, if people what's have What's the them, point of it? Well, what's the point of any tattoo? So that people could see them. It's an expression. Well, I think people who get tattooed, and we really should be asking the off-the-ball tattoo expert on this, but that it's not really about other people. Yeah, but it, uh, are you not trying to express something? Yeah, but you might be just trying to express that to yourself. All right. You don't want to know what it he also tattooed seems on the inside incredibly of his mouth. painful. Go on, what has he tattooed? Put food here. <laughs> Plays fork on lip. Uh, successful. Suck, Cecil. <laughs> you can. <laughs> you're, you're really going out there today, buddy. You're really going out to get a suit yeah. today. Brendan um, Rogers, of course, Liverpool were chasing Memphis to pie yeah. for the pie to pay. I think it's the pie. The pie, yeah. Uh, for, for years but Brendan Rodgers today kind of did the whole <laughs> never, he's shy isn't he I never really liked him anyways <laughs> yeah. Yeah. not for me yeah. uh, but the Dutch Ronaldo is what they're calling him he's uh, I think we're building him up a little bit too much now he's previously described LVG as a, a sweet person and uh, there's a, like there's a lot of there's a lot of Balotelli about his personality but there's also a lot of other things that uh sort of come to recommend him. He, um, Dick Avocat, had him at PSV, our friend that we mentioned a bit earlier, uh, said he had a great thirst to learn. The last player off the pitch, there is a bit there, like it does seem like a pretty heady mix of Balotelli and Ronaldo that uh, right. United Right, so he wants here. to, but Balotelli with a work ethic. Yeah, and that's not that's no bad thing, that would no? seem to me to be no, no. quite a decent thing. Uh, tough upbringing, father left him and his mother, and the new boyfriend was a bit of a prick by all accounts. And uh, so he went off to, it might have been PSV when he was um, in his early teens and cut his teeth. Bit of a tough 
prospect to deal with, I think, initially, and then sort of had the corners uh, cut off him. Um, but uh, by all accounts, this is a very positive thing from a United point of view. They're, they've bought a player that a lot of other teams are interested in. They're doing their business very early. And also, this really strengthens the hand of Louis van Gaal going forward from a United point of view. This is uh, an LVG appointment, an LVG ally. Yeah, but there's no guarantee he's going to be successful at United. And when Van Gaal brings a player in that he's so closely associated with, you maybe stake a little bit more. So maybe there's a higher risk for Louis Van Gaal. Mm. I do find it quite interesting with the rivalry between Liverpool and Manchester United. And it is quite tedious at times, especially following it on Twitter between their various supporters, Mm. that Liverpool aren't too bothered about, say, signing Danny Ings. Liverpool supporters are not convinced. Danny Ings, what are we doing trying to sign Danny Ings? Danny Ings strongly linked with a move to Manchester United. Suddenly, right? What the hell? Yeah, let's get him. Get let's him get him. Danny get him Ings, this guy is the future. He nearly hit double figures for goals in the Premier League this season. Get in, bought. It does strike me as a bit of a Ricky Lambert uh, reaction, mind you. Yeah, we definitely should get this guy. You know, he might be a bit of a, a, a bit power player, but he definitely have an impact. I, 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 you can understand completely why Memphis Depay would go to Manchester United, regardless of Louis Van Gaal. Why any player would choose Liverpool above Manchester United? I'm not quite sure. At this particular moment in time, <laughs> uh, really? Mm. Why? Well, well, unless unless you're in a position where you're going to Manchester United and you're not sure that you're going to be playing every week, and you're going well, to Liverpool and you're higher the up the pecking order. Uh, factor in the point that you make is that United have an ambition to be a Champions League team, consistently a Champions League team, and so we just assume that all those factors are in place, and we assume. By all of that, that because I'm assuming that the conversation that we had with Memphis Depay over the last while, where that we look, we're obviously we're you know we've almost pretty much qualified for the Champions League now, so you know that's that's there yeah. for next season. But have they? No, 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 exactly. certainly not. So for no, you know, so so what you know is it like United have lost three in a row here? They haven't scored. They've conceded five goals. I think they have. They haven't conceded. They haven't scored one if I'm right along that uh, that time. And like. There's a possibility here to get, you know, like from the point that you make of United being a better prospect for a player, it's it's quite fine margins here. Manchester United could easily be competing for the Premier League title next season. Liverpool won't. Yeah. And certainly within two seasons, whether Van Gaal's there or somebody else there, you'd expect United to be back at the very least competing for the title, if not winning it, with the amount of money they're going to spend and can spend. Liverpool, under the current ownership, and it's not a criticism of them, but and just the way Liverpool is as a city and Manchester is as a city, Liverpool cannot compete with Manchester United mm. with regards to weight, whatever about transfer fees. And I often, and I guess it's easy to disprove this argument with the amount of money Liverpool have spent over the past year, spending 20, 25 million. But the problem Liverpool have is that they can't, they could spend 50 million on one player. But if you spend 50 million on someone, you need to pay him 200 grand a week. Yeah. Liverpool can't afford to pay a player 200 grand a yeah, week. Yeah, 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 yeah. Whereas Manchester United can. Like, more and more, like, mm. 200 grand a week isn't going to be a huge amount of money in two, three years' time. So what you need is a manager who can get the best out of the be, uh, inferior players that he has. Yeah. So, Brendan Rodgers. Or, you get, or what will happen is, as has happened for the last couple of years when they've challenged, you get a Torres or you get a Suarez who you buy for. Tonight, maybe a new era is starting for Richard Dortmund. <laughs> no. <laughs> I really love That's that brilliant. One. But um, that, yeah. But that, yeah. I've lost my train of thought. Uh, yeah, I don't remember. Yeah, basically, they had Suarez and they had Torres. They bought yeah. them for both were established European players. People yeah. knew they were g- very good. Yeah. They didn't quite know that they were going to be able to take 
the next step to greatness, mm. which they did at Liverpool. You just can't build a club around that because no, the thing you about don't it is, know. if and when they make that step, you get like a year out of them and yeah. that's it and they're gone. And also you're, you're buying guys then in the hope you're taking a far greater risk when you're buying someone like Origi. Maybe it's not the mm. best example. He's you know barely getting in the Lille team. But that if you're spending money on 20 million on a player from the Dutch League as United have done with the pie, there's not quite the same degree of certainty that they're going to deliver. And the difference, another difference is that Liverpool sign Memphis Depay is going to be one of their landmark signings of the summer. They're going to need him to deliver. Yeah. For Manchester United, I can't expect him, yeah, it's going yeah, to be that yeah, level of expectation. Yeah. Presumably they get rid of some of these names as well, United, over the next few months. I mean, is Falcao going to hang around? Van but they're saying they might extend uh, Falcao's loan oh, deal until geez, January just to see if they can get him fully fit and maybe something will click. He's just shown nothing. I've watched him at times and he's just... Where you're looking at him going, right, well, I'm presuming now this is your last opportunity here to prove to Van Gaal and the owners at United that there is a spark of something. And he's got a big old arse on him. He's a big backside, is he? Is that yeah. sort of, yeah. yeah. That's, that's all I see. <laughs> Again, Nathan, I do feel that that says a lot more about you than it does well. about the state of uh, Falcao's fitness. But uh, anyhow, um, that's Crystal Palace United, the late game on Saturday. And we'll have, Nathan, on Saturday at five o'clock, we'll have Stephen McPhail dropping by to reflect on the results of the day. Yeah, and, and we'll, have we'll also have Stuart Robson right. on uh, chatting about the results of the day. Good chat with Stephen as well about Newcastle because obviously he was in a similar situation at Leeds yeah. where they were in just complete meltdown. And uh, he was actually in Newcastle with me a couple of months ago to watch them against Stoke. All right. Well, sure, look, we'll uh, chat about all that on Saturday. And then Sunday, City QPR at the Etihad. It's our first live game of the day from half past one, as we mentioned. Dave and Clinton Morrison will be watching this one. All to play for, for QPR. Very little to play for from a City point of view who are really only fighting it out with Arsenal for, uh, to decide who finishes second or third. Don't want to spend a great deal of time on this, Nathan, but any chance of an upset here? Or Actually, what is an upset, I guess, but uh, any chance that QPR will beat City? Or get something from that game? They could get something, battle? but even getting something is probably not going to be enough. If they get even a point, that means the most they can reach is 34, yeah. which is where Hull and Leicester are. So all we'd need is one of those teams. In fact... I think they are relegated no matter what. They are. Because Sunderland yeah. would play Leicester, so therefore one of them would move up. Uh, yeah. If they lose at City, QPR will be seven points from safety at a minimum with two games to go and will be relegated at that stage for the second time in three years. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I, they could they could get a point. I can't see them winning. City are a great team when the pressure's off. Yes. This is a good point. And it's Yaya Torres' birthday. Home. And Again, next week as well. Yeah. It comes around so quickly. It really does. I'm sure the cake. I'm sure they won't be buying cake from him because, by all accounts, I'm sure Yaya Torre will not be at Manchester City. Uh, I would. It's to buy cake for people. It's just common, really? common courtesy. I know you're his, not a very nice person when it comes to these things. Agent Every saying, time cake appears in the office, they'll look in Adrian Barry's face. I don't. Uh, I don't. I don't eat cake, and that might be actually part of the um, reason for that. His agent saying uh, this week that you know 90% he'll be at another club next season. You know, he might go to uh, PSG or uh, Inter. He said Juve are all interested in him. Uh, he said, you know, PSG, well, you know, they could afford him. Which kind of says to me that, uh, you know, and it is it is Yaya Torre's agent, obviously, we're dealing with here, but suggests that certainly Yaya Torre certainly still has a high opinion of himself that he might be still demanding, is it 220 grand a week or whatever it is? He mightn't get that, but I was shocked at the figures that were being spoken about. Like, Yaya Torre... 32 and they're yeah. talking about getting 30 million quid from 
any club that pays 30 million quid on the basis of, alone, outside of his age, which in itself is a factor, and his wage demands, uh, given the season he's just had, is... Well, remember, until it, it was his departure for the African Cup of Nations that coincided with City's complete yeah. loss of form. For Paris, like he'd be a perfect signing, you'd imagine, for Paris Saint-Germain, who were just trying to make a statement as much as anything else, that we can buy these guys. Mm. We can buy these aging stars, yeah, and, and potentially he goes them. there and gets a bit sort of rejuvenated and yep. sort I of. Like, I, I would definitely think he has a couple more seasons in him. Mm. He saves his energy very well, so that should stand to him. <laughs> There's a fairly heavy criticism, obviously locked in there. It was just banter. I said, I know. Uh, Chelsea against Liverpool Stamford Bridge then the other game to wrap up on is the 4 o'clock game on Sunday Nathan there alongside Ray Houghton Chelsea clearly obviously with the title wrapped up Uh, no interest in any of the other competitions so it's just Liverpool West Brom and Sunderland uh, to come for them and then that's a wrap so you assume I suppose that Jose Mourinho Nathan in many ways being the winner that he is he continues to fight to the last hair and he tells his players don't take your foot off the throat here this is we drive on through Except for he's given them four days off. They return to training today, so they've today and tomorrow to prepare yeah. for Liverpool. If I'm Manchester United, I'm fucking I'm pretty pissed off here, I have to say. <laughs> I don't, I was reading this last night as I was watching the election. Now like Piss off United. What's it to do with you? It's look the, after your own business. Yeah. We'll prepare for a game whatever way we want. And and, and, and I have, four and, days and look at ultimately I have a simple. I with honestly that. don't but, think it's going to make the slightest bit of difference. If I'm United, like like Chelsea have prepared for this way for this game in no other uh in no way is a reflection of the way they've prepared for every other game this season. So like Jose Mourinho is accepting that, you know, we've won the title, the players need a bit of time off. And by the way, why do they need time off? They're like they don't have they're not in the Champions League. They've no more co- Because they're wrecked. They've been playing a huge amount of games. Ivanovic, Terry but finished in a their couple players of weeks. have played because well, it's the them. mental strain. Well, rest those players as opposed to taking well, four days if off. If they were arresting them, you'd have twice as many complaints from Manchester United. Mm. I honestly don't think it makes any difference. They've been under the the huge mental pressure that comes with leading a title race for as long as they have and having so many players who've either played every minute, Ivanovic and Terry, every minute of every game, Azard started every game. You've got the other eight regulars who've played, I think, more minutes than any Manchester United players played in the league this season. They just need a break. And also, just go and celebrate to enjoy it. What's the point in having these moments of winning titles if you can't yeah. enjoy it for a couple of days? So Aiden they come Hazard back rejuvenated. On Instagram, he's been at the, uh, at the seaside somewhere. Oh, yeah? Not in, not in the end. Certainly, well, by all accounts, the sky would suggest that uh, it having no clouds in it, that he was out somewhere farting. I, I honestly think that it's probably exactly what Chelsea need. And maybe we'll see a slightly rejuvenated Chelsea because they've played to a system all season. It's not as if they need to be on the training ground going, this is exactly... What we're going to work. Oh, we need to find a way to man mark Liverpool's great goal scorer, who is. Uh, yeah. No, I think I wouldn't be surprised if you see Chelsea with a bit more energy. Really, he'll certainly put out a strongest team. I'd be shocked. He might play Czech instead of Courtois. Yeah, but I'd imagine he'll play a strongest team. Yeah, that's kind of interesting. Look, I, I suppose I can see both sides of it. I can see why I can definitely see why United would be pissed off. I can see why Jose Mourinho would do that. Have won the title, and you know we can do what we want here. Yeah, they might ease off like. West Brom, I wouldn't be surprised if they rotated quite a bit for that game and then try and finish off on a bit of a high as well. Obviously, we need to be uh, sort of bigging this game up in as yeah, well. high terms as we can. But is there a possibility that, I mean, this could be a little bit flat here? I mean, like Liverpool have a bit to play for, but their capabilities are quite low. 
and it's not got the intensity of a game, you know, like when these fixtures would have come out, what, like four or five weeks ago, we might have looked at this and thought, Jesus, this could be this could be a massive game. And suddenly, after events for last weekend, there's a potential that we're, this could be a bit flat. Well, that was sort of the build-up to the game I did last week, which was Spurs City, which, though there was just a goal in it, was a really entertaining game. I, I still think there's a bit of an edge to this. Liverpool have to give them a guard of honour. Do they? On oh, the way that, out. Oh, I didn't realise that would happen yeah. in the in that same season. Yeah. Oh Jesus! So Stephen Gerrard is by all Steven accounts Gerard playing is and very much nearing the end. Um, will probably be in that guard of honour. Well, the irony of that for the club that he could have joined yeah. ten years ago, and presumably reflects on all that with a degree of a fairly large degree of uh, bollocks. There is Chelsea, as you say, they will want to go out and lay down a marker again against Liverpool. There's a good rivalry there between Mourinho and and Brendan Rodgers, and if Manchester United were to slip up on Saturday there is a chance there for Liverpool mm. to go and try and sneak in and finish in fourth place. The problem for Liverpool is that they're completely out of form and that is another factor in this that Brendan Rodgers can't afford to lose too many more games if he wants to keep his job. That if they go to Chelsea, a Chelsea that have won the title, who don't have any pressure on them and they were beaten 3-0 at Stamford Bridge, yeah. you would imagine the owners are looking at this and thinking... We're a hell of a long way behind these guys. Well, be, I mean, you know, I suppose whatever happens, it's a bit of a hiding to nothing for Liverpool. You know, if they go ahead and beat them, yeah. obviously they start to close in, but then, you know, people reflect on what happened last year in that game and they kind of say, well... There's a lot of contradictions it. surrounding Brennan Rodgers and talking to, we obviously had that Liverpool night at Fixture Street and talking to some of the former players that you know, pretty much all of them agree that, again, fifth is kind of where Liverpool... Mm. should be finishing and that finishing fifth and getting to a couple of cup semi-finals isn't a bad season but none of nobody just likes Brendan Rodgers that he's actually just put a rod in his own back because mm. of all his quotes from earlier in the season about basically how he reinvented football he's by moving he's put a rod in his own back <laughs> <laughs> like I, it's not that I don't see where you're going with that but uh, I just went for it <laughs> I think you've gone for two in one there but uh, <laughs> hey yeah. mixed nope. metaphors is what I'm all about <laughs> nobody likes Brendan Rodgers and so this group this group of players should. this is what they should be achieving Yeah. only that I don't know because what people I suspect that a lot of Liverpool uh, fans think that maybe they should be achieving beyond this. But then, I mean, he is also the person responsibility for for this team. I mean, it's his, it's his team. It's not he hasn't acquired any of these players. This is essentially you know yeah. he's put his own stamp on it. So he's got to have some. I just don't think he does himself. Well. He hasn't done himself a huge amount of favors. He talks too much, mm-hmm. and whereas I think there is a general support for what he has done at Liverpool amongst and they are quite influential when the the ex-Liverpool players the successful ex-Liverpool players that they're not really publicly supporting him because mm. they just don't want to so Chelsea too I mean you can easily see Chelsea if they as you suspect go with that sort of pretty much first pick team yeah. they lock this one down they're the masters of you know setting up tactically to lock the thing down unless they're in some you know very different mindset that yeah, and unless Brendan Rodgers gets Liverpool into the right mindset, but you, you just watch them at the moment and they've gone back to the 4-4-2 and you just look at them and think, nobody's going to score any goals. Mm. All right, well, we look forward to your commentary of uh, that one on Sunday. I'm not sure we've really sold it up like we should really? have been, but... I'm looking forward to it. I think right. it has potential to be a really good game. Sometimes these games at the end of the season can be really entertaining. And, as yeah. I said, if United slip up, there'll be a little bit more riding on it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I hey, will, and I you get to listen that, to yeah. me and Ray Houghton 
Like we're trying to we're supposed to be trying to sell this. This is the uh, um, my treble, which I don't have to hand, but I think I went for United to be Palace, City to be QPR, and I think I went for Chelsea to be Liverpool. I think that's what it was. It was about four to one. I went for Newcastle and West Brom to draw, Chelsea to beat Liverpool and Villa to beat West Ham, and I didn't get the odds. Right. I would say that's probably, you're probably looking at 6 once 7 you a, Once you get a draw in there. Yeah, maybe even a bit more than that. Nathan, it's been a pleasure, um, because it's been so long since we've all been here. We will try over the last couple of weeks to get everybody in the same room and bring some sort of quality to proceedings. Yeah, we which, might even get Jared Gilroy involved. Ah, uh, yeah, well, we can. One, one can but hope. Nathan, thanks a million. Enjoy Cheers, your trip over the weekend. Good luck.